You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast. It's Susan, and I'm here today with Barbara Adams. She is an audio engineer and educator with over 25 years of experience in the music industry. She specializes in live sound and production management. Her strong and varied experience also includes recording engineer, stage management, and artist management. Barbara is a lecturer professor at Rowan University, teaching sound reinforcement and audio recording in their music industry program. She is also the booking manager for Rowan Music Group, the program's record label and artist management services. By night, she is busy as an engineer and production manager working as a freelance engineer system tech for several production companies and regional bands touring the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic states. As the Sound Girls Philadelphia chapter president, go birds, I suppose, (laughs) uh, (laughs) she is always looking for ways to help mentor and guide new engineers in the field of live sound and bring together the Philadelphia community of Sound Girls. And as if this wasn't enough, she is the mom to a very busy teenage son. Welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Thanks for having me. That was a a mouthful there. And I actually nailed that in the first take, which I've never done before. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. (laughs) Are you a football fan, like the Eagles and whatnot? I mean, I I live in Philly, so I am a Philadelphia team fan. Um, Mm -hmm. Do I faithfully watch any sport? Not really. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm I'm one of those fair weather fans when they're doing really well. I'm all behind it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm marrying into a, a Philadelphia fan, so yeah. I've learned that I have to do the go birds when appropriate. Yeah, I'm picking it up. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if we get on the subject of, of Philadelphia teams, I I'm definitely part of a hockey family. So we we are mm, uh, the Flyers, we are, yep, right? We are, Definitely more, uh, I would say I pay attention more to Flyers, although they're doing horribly. So we're not watching the Flyers right now. <laughs> if uh, if anyone has never uh, heard of the Philadelphia Flyers, I encourage you to please go into Google and type in Gritty. Oh, yeah. Their mascot. He's awesome. And just have a look at this Muppet from your nightmares. He is, he's the best thing ever. Love Gritty. It's so Weird. I got to see the debut of Gritty at a Flyers game. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. really? When he fell on the ice yes. as soon as he came out? <laughs> yeah, my son and I were there that night. And uh, in fact, earlier that day, we had gone to, the, there's a, a kids museum here called the Please Touch Museum. And yeah. uh, we had gone there because they were actually debuting him there in front of kids. And um <laughs> So you can just imagine, because we didn't really know what he looked like. And I bring my son to the Police Touch Museum that day because I was like, oh, they're Mm. debuting the new mascot for the Flyers. And he comes out and I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, he's scared. Like, I'm sure there were kids crying. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Like, he's he is a terrifying orange Muppet. He's awesome. Yeah, it's. It's the best. Um, so, how long have you been the Philadelphia chapter president? Since since the Philadelphia chapter started. Okay. <laughs> when I, when did you begin it? Did you form the chapter yourself? I, I well, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a yeah. I wish I knew the actual date of that, and and I don't. Um, we've been going for a while, um, and I think it, mm. it it started because Carrie had reached out and said, hey, we're doing these chapters. Would you be interested in starting a Philadelphia chapter? And I said, sure. 
Um, and I've, I've got to admit, and I, and I tell our members this all the time, like my life gets so hectic and so busy and I wish I could say we are doing a lot more than we're doing, but, um, it is growing and, um, I'm thankful for that. It's just, uh, COVID definitely slowed us down and I've got to come out of that slump and, and really start doing some stuff again. Yeah. Hopefully make us a little more of an active chapter yeah we're working on that too for the orlando one so more things are coming but slowly just yeah you know pandemic and whatnot but yeah uh so usually we ask about your background so if you uh would like to share how you got started in the industry and then also the big question is like did you even know that you could do this when you first started out like did you know it was a job that was available absolutely not you know i have a very interesting origin story when it comes to this. Um, I knew nobody in the industry. I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which, you know, years later, kind of, uh, there are some artists that kind of made their name out of out of that area, uh, Pharrell and uh, Missy Elliott. And, but these people weren't around when I was growing up. I'm much older. And um, so I really knew nobody. My mom and dad had taken me to plenty of concerts and I loved going to concerts, but I had no idea what was going on there. And, and it wasn't even a thought in my mind. But I grew up loving music, um, was always surrounded by music. I am not a musician. Um, I sang in choirs all through school. Uh, I played organ, which is a weird thing, but I think I started in second grade. And um, and the reason why is because my mom, she knew I loved music, but I don't I think it was even beyond that. Like she wanted to give us music, some kind of music lesson. And she had found this woman in the community who taught piano and organ. And my mom thought organ sounds so much cooler, Okay, you know, and, and she, you know, she was a church going person and she, you know, grew up listening to like pipe organs in church and, you know, we'll get, we'll get my kids to learn how to play, play an organ, you know, and then they can play in church. Um, and so I have an older brother and I think the lesson started for him. Maybe he even asked my mom to like, you know, he wanted to take music lessons or something. I don't even know, but, uh, whatever my brother got, I got, and so they split the hour long lesson between the two of us. And it was probably about a year later. And my brother was just like, yeah, I'm done. And so I took over the hour long lesson um, and I took lessons for like six years. And so I learned how to read music, but she was not the type of teacher who taught theory. And so I really didn't quite get theory. I could read notes on a page and and that that wasn't any problem, but I wasn't really inspired to uh, write music or, or do anything like that. Um, but I remember my music teacher in elementary school was really excited that I knew how to read music. And she put me in the alto section because I could read music and I wasn't going to just sing the melody. <laughs> so, um, I liked it in school, but I didn't like it enough that I, I knew I didn't want to be an artist. I had a horrible stage fright. Like, do, do not give me a solo. I do not want to stand out in any way. Um, so when it came to like, I guess it was my junior year in high school when everyone's asking you, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Or, you know, what are you going to do when you graduate high school? And I think at that point, you know, it definitely was, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And I had no idea. And I was just like, okay, I don't care as long as it has something to do with music. 
Um, and I liked listening to music. I liked dancing, to be honest with you. Like I liked pop. I grew up in the 80s. So, you know, I'm, I'm a product of 80s pop music. Um, and so as I started kind of exploring what, what careers were available, you know, music education, um, you know, become a music teacher. And I was like, okay, yeah, I come from a family of teachers, like, you know, teachers and social workers. Yeah, I could probably do that. Maybe that looks interesting. I don't know. I wasn't really, to be honest, I wasn't even looking to go to college. I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have that drive anyway. Um, but I was looking through Spin Magazine, of all oh. things, um, flipping through pages of Spin Magazine, reading about, I don't know who it was at the time, uh, whoever was on the cover of that that particular um, thing. But what I do remember is when I got to the back of the magazine where they used to have all those ads for a million things, it was probably like two or three pages worth of ads. Mm-hmm. I consumed that magazine, read it from cover to cover. And so I went through all the ads and I see an ad for Full Sail. And it said, learn music production. And I was like, what's that? (laughs) That sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a picture of a console. I didn't even know what a console was, but it looked cool. So took the picture down my mom and said, mom, this is what I want to do. Like, honestly, I had no idea, but like, I made a decision literally at that point, like, this is what I want to do. And she's like, hold up a minute. (laughs) um, Then you have to try to explain it to your parents, like, what this is, and you're kind of not sure what this is. And mom was definitely not having it. She was just like, yeah, you don't even know what that is. So we're, (laughs) we're not doing that. And so then that just set me on a path to figure out what that was. Um, And so I called the school first, you know, got the brochure. And this was back in the days where you, you know, there wasn't email. There was no website. They actually mailed you this big brochure. And I'm looking through the brochure and I'm sold even more now. I'm like, oh, my God, this is this looks awesome. Like, I want to do this, mom. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to college. Like, that's not a college. And this was back before Full Sail really became a university. It was a, you know, it was a tech school. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, you know, I wasn't going to fight her that much. Um, Ended up going to community college. And that thought never left my mind at all. Right. And the community college I went to didn't have, I mean, this was back when very few schools had any music production um, thing. So, you know, I took a music theory class. I took as many like music classes, but I didn't really fit in there because I, I don't, I didn't really play anymore at that point. I, I mean, I kind of sang, but I was kind of losing that interest too. Um, and so I was at, community college for about a year. And I told my mom, like, this isn't working. I'm not happy here. Like, you know, we got to figure something out. I mean, I'll finish it. I'll finish the two year program. But you know, I really want to do this music production thing. So she found somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody at a recording studio. And yeah, (laughs) the things my mom did is really amazing to me. Um, Got me to go and hang out at a recording studio one night. Wow. And I'm super shy. I mean, I was super shy. Like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know, you know, what questions to ask. And so I just sat there like probably deer in headlights, you know, like, oh, my God, this is I don't know. And it was all men, you know, so I I felt a little uncomfortable. Like I was probably, I don't know, 18, 19 years old at that point. 
And so I came home and was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I need to go to school for this. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to learn by going and hanging out with guys at a studio. I can't imagine having to learn it without, I mean, I, I did at the cusp of when like the internet was available, but there wasn't a ton of stuff, but I can't imagine trying to like figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that back then it was two inch tape. So it's not like I, you couldn't even like buy gear. Like you couldn't afford, yeah. you know, at least I couldn't afford it. Um, and so she challenged me to kind of research other schools other than Full Sail. Mm hmm. And it wasn't that she was against Full Sail, but it was in Florida. We lived in Philadelphia or just outside of Philadelphia at that point. And we didn't really, like, I didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, it wasn't a, you know, it was trying, I guess, trying to avoid loans and things like that. And, um, and so I looked up at that point, the Art Institute was still around. And I went for a tour down at the Art Institute and it was like, I'm, I'm kind of thankful because I think if it was a better tour, I would have ended up there. But um, the tour was horrible. They were like, yeah, this is our school. And <laughs> they were showing me all these things that had nothing to do with the the audio production side of it. And then they kind of like walked by the audio production rooms and they're like, so in there is where we do this, this and this. And I'm like, that's the stuff I want to learn. Like, why? Are we? And I didn't even walk in the room. They, they just kind of like stare through the window. Mm -hmm. It was really bizarre. <laughs> Um, and so I went home and was like, mom, I don't think that's the place. Like, I don't, I don't like, they, I don't know. They were just really weird. And I was like, can we please go check out Full Sail? <laughs> can we please just go down and look at it? They do yeah. these tours, mom. We'll go down and check it out. And, and our tours and are kind of amazing. Oh my God. They're like, <laughs> like, okay. We go all out. Yeah. And they went all out back then too. This is 1993 at that point. Awesome. Um, maybe, Yeah. Yeah, it was ni or early ni late 92 or early 93, I forget, when we actually ended up going down there. Um, mm -hmm. But my my mom and my godmother and me drove from Philly down to Orlando and um, took my mom in on the tour. I think my godmother might have even been with us at the time, but she might have gone on the tour too. And I like completely blown away I mean they sell it they sell yeah. it you know and and my mom just saw the look on my face and I was just like that's it like we're like you know she knew she knew exactly um and even at that point to be honest with you I still had no idea <laughs> what any of this was <laughs> and but I was willing to learn it and that passion and that drive never left me um, fast forward. So I finally, you know, I ended up down there. I started in, in March of 94. So I was at the graduating class of March 94 or I guess March 95. And maybe one or two months before we left was the first time that Full Sail sent students to AES. And so I was on that first dream team, they called it. Um, and they flew us out to San Francisco because it was in San Francisco oh. at that time. And, uh, in doing that, they had a professional photographer come in and take a whole bunch of pictures of us because they were using it as a marketing campaign. So they made this whole like booklet that they were handing out at AES with our faces plastered all over them. Um, and so my picture was taken in front of the Neve in Studio A. Ah. And that became the ad for Full Sail Magazine 
the year after I graduated. Wow. So in 1996, my face was all over Mix Magazine and um, I don't know what, what other magazines they the were The face in. of Full Sail. I was the face of Full Sail. And then oh I gosh. ended up on the back of the tour bus, too. My face was on the back of the tour bus, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Strange story. Anyway, that's my origin story. That's how I got into it. Um, and then spent a year at Full Sail just diving um, headfirst into it, like, uh, you know, taking every opportunity that I could while I was down there to um, get as much as experience as I could under my belt. And, you know, I, I imagine it's it's run very similar to how it was back then, but it was a four-hour lecture, four-hour lab. It was a one-year program. So each class lasted about four weeks. Um, and so back then the live set, the show production didn't exist. It was just either recording or film. Those were the only two programs that they had at the time. Right. But in the recording program, there was a one month class of live sound. And that's when I really woke up. Like I was mm -hmm. like, this is cool. Like I want to do this. The studio was fun, but I, I really like took to the live sound course, like Mm -hmm. really took to the live sound course that that was what really uh made me happy and so I took every opportunity to do live sound while I was down there so I was part of you know the crew that would run the tours and and you know run either spotlight or the console during the tours I got a gig doing spotlight for a Snoop Dogg concert Ooh. somewhere down. I don't even I don't even remember where it was <laughs> but it was one of those instances where and I honestly don't even remember who told me about the gig, but I, it had to have been like a lab assistant, like, or somebody who was teaching was like, hey, we need hands for this gig. Who's available? Me. I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, so I ran spotlights for a Snoop Dogg concert. Um, I did all the stuff at school that I could do. Uh, just tried to be as involved as I could while I was there. And I still had fun. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't like you know, completely head in the books and, and ignoring. I had a lot of really good friends that I went to school with down there and had fun while I was there. Um, when I graduated, I had no money. So mm -hmm. it, I had no choice other than to come home. And, you know, back then, I think a lot of full sale grads were going to Shoco and I, I wasn't ready to move to Texas. And uh, so I, I came back up um, came home and because it was a recording arts program, I went and tried to find a job in a studio. And I, so I actually started in a recording studio as an intern. Um, and it was a Sonic Recording Studios, uh, which was on Delaware Avenue, which is now Columbus Boulevard in Philadelphia. Um, and it was one of those cold calls that I made to every studio in Philadelphia. <laughs> hey, I just graduated. Do you need an intern? I will work for free. Um, and I went in there with that same attitude. Like I'll, I'll do anything. I'll vacuum the floors. I'll answer the phones. I'll make coffee. I'll wash the dishes. I'll do whatever. And so for the first like couple weeks, that's probably all I did. But then the engineers that worked there figured out that I knew how to patch a patch bay. I knew how to bias a tape machine. I knew how to do all of these things already. So I quickly became an assistant engineer. But I wasn't getting my own sessions and I wasn't of the type of personality to go out and find clients. And I realized pretty quickly that that's what it was going to take for me to really succeed in the studio. So I started finding live sound gigs because um, that's what I love. And uh, it grew from there. I started in some small clubs in Philly and worked my way up in, in the venues, did a couple small tours, um, nothing big. Um, 
So I, I've kind of come up through the through various venues in Philadelphia. And you've stayed. You've stayed in Philly. I stayed in Philly. I met my husband. I did sound for my husband before he was my husband, and that's how we met. What does he do? So he's now a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> But he's still was he in a band. He's in a band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he wasn't a lawyer then. He was a full time musician then. Um, he was in a band called Princes of Babylon back then. And uh, it was actually when I was still working at the studio. Um, some members of his band were recording with G Love and Special Sauce were recording the Yeah, It's That Easy album at Sonic Recording Studios. And so a few members from Princes of Babylon were also in G-Love's uh, All Fellas Band. They kind of grew out of that. Um, and so I was actually in the studio recording the All Fellas Band, and I'll, Dave was not part of that. He was in uh, just, he was the one of the singers, uh, I guess you could call him the lead, well, one of the lead singers, and uh, the guitarist for Princes of Babylon. But I, I get to know uh, the other members through the, the recording session and then, found out they were playing, you know, at a, at a club in Philly. And I was like, yeah, let's go out and have some fun and go check out this band. Um, and I remember having this conversation with him before they went on. And um, I was kind of like, oh, like, hi, you know, I didn't think anything of him. Like, you know, he was really nice. And it wasn't this like instant connection or anything. He takes the stage and I am a vocal person. Like I love good vocals and he started singing and I was just like, wait a minute, who's that? You know, and like, I was like, Oh wait, that's the guy I was just talking to. <laughs> and then fast forward a couple months and I started doing sound for the band, went out on tour with them. They, they were opening up for G love. Um, so we did like, you know, kind of a Northeast tour van tour. Um, and Dave and I got to know each other, and here we are a uh, little over 20 years later with a 13-year-old son and a rambunctious puppy. <laughs> that <laughs> is adorable that he was in a yeah. band, and now he's a lawyer. And yeah. Yeah. you stayed in the industry, though. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, a lot of that decision was made when I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of the turning like point. One of us. <laughs> yeah, we can't both be working in the music industry. And, and you know, we were at points in our career where like, eh, we're, we're doing okay for ourselves, but not if we're going to bring a kid into this world. Um, and it was around that same time that I started looking at teaching too. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but he, he went to law school. So um, that's our story. Oh, that's so, that's adorable. That's <laughs> really cute. <laughs> and he's probably going to be like, I can't believe you told that story on the podcast, Barb. <laughs> Meh. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Is your son into music at all? He is. Yeah. Um, so my son has been around music since before he was born. Mm -hmm. um, I worked up until a week before I gave birth to him. Oh, my gosh. Um, in a venue. And uh, I guess he was probably, I don't know, maybe like six years old when he started banging on drums. But in the past few years, um, music has really kind of bitten him a lot. I mean, he's in a music school. So he's the magnet school that he's in right now is actually a music school. Um, it is based more on uh, choir 
um, but he does play in the school band, the concert band. Actually, he's in the the wind ensemble now. He he decided to switch. He started playing violin in elementary school, and then when he when he started at this school, he switched to saxophone. Oh wow! Because he thought saxophone would be cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that was in fifth grade that he switched to saxophone, and then I think by sixth grade he was kind of taking drums a little more seriously. Uh, you know. I say a little more seriously and mean that he actually cared, you know, to have a drummer come and show him some stuff. Mm-hmm. And within the past year, and it was maybe this was a lot to do with COVID too, but he taught himself how to play bass. Wow. Um, and because he's in a school that is really music focused, he takes theory classes. And so he's starting to write his own music now. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but he he loves all aspects of music. He also loves art. He's really into graffiti right now. So he actually just left to go to the art store to buy more markers. <laughs> so you spend time doing like little tours and and the bar gigs, and then you eventually transition to being a professor. How did you do that? Um. So I guess I, I grew from the bar gig. So I, I worked in. Um, you know, I said I come in, in in Philly venues, but you know I've worked for several venues over the years. So, kind of started in those bar gigs and then moved to more of our concert halls. Um, I worked for Electric Factory Concerts for a number of years, um, which was a 2,500 capacity room, um, and then I got burnt out. I started becoming the angry sound person, and it happens to I, everyone. I recognized it and was like, okay, I need to change. I need to switch. Um, so I went back down to the bar gigs. I actually went back down to a smaller venue and that was called Grape Street. And it was, um, it was a pretty amazing venue. It was a, a multi-room venue. They had a 400 capacity room and then they had a, I don't know, like 150, 200 capacity space where they would do like more acoustic acts. And then in between those two rooms was this dance club with a DJ. Um, and so on the main stage, we were doing like five or six bands a night. On the acoustic stage, we were doing two bands that kind of like kicked off the night. And then when the acoustic stage was over, that whole room turned into a dance club. And it was separated enough that you could actually run, you know, a full six bands on one side of the venue and, and a DJ on the other side, two completely separate crowds wow. um, that would come in. And it was a pretty cool venue. And, you know, I, I really became part of the Philadelphia music scene at that point, got to know so many different musicians and so many different people in the scene, really. That venue closed in 2008, about three months into my pregnancy. And I had just settled on our first house. And I was freaking out because not only did I just lose a really cool gig that I loved that was steady, but I'm about to be a mom. And if I go to try to find another venue that's going to help support the family, um, you know, they're going to take one look at me and be like, you're pregnant. Like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Um, and so I really like, in in that stress of like freaking out started reevaluating like really what my future was going to be I thought for sure I would have to find some 
retail job or, you know, go back to what I was doing before audio production, which was basically retail, you know, or, or find some corporate job. And um, so through that Philly music scene, I, you know, got to know some people and found out a few of them were teaching at Drexel University in this new music industry program. And as I'm talking to them, I'm saying, oh, that's really cool that Drexel has that. That's awesome. Who's teaching live sound? And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have a live sound class. I'm like, wait, you're teaching music industry and you're not teaching live sound at all? Like, how? how, What are you teaching? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Like, that's that's where all these kids are going to go find work. I mean, at this point, you know, studios were closing. They weren't going to go find jobs in in recording studios. Um, And so I got a meeting with the program director and basically sold him on, hey, I hear you're not teaching live sound. Let me do it. And he was kind of like, okay, come up with something and let me know. And I was pregnant still at that time. And so I was like, oh boy, here we go, right? (laughs) Um, And a year later, I finally came back to him and said, okay, I've got it. Like I I developed an entire course. Wow. Um, And so they hired me and I was an adjunct professor and I was teaching um, at that point, I think it was just one class a year. Um, And, you know, adjuncts don't make a whole lot of money. So (laughs) um, in between those times, I actually did find a venue um, that hired me. And this is an interesting story. So, um, you know, you build a network of people. And so like as soon as Grape Street closed, I kind of put the word out, hey, guys, I'm looking for work. If anybody hears anything, let me know. Mm-hmm. And one of uh, one of my uh, people in my network sent me an email of a Craigslist ad that said, you know, established Philadelphia music venue looking for a sound man. And that's all it said. <laughs> oh, no other information. <laughs> yep. No. And I was like, okay, like this just looks like not legit at all, but I'm desperate and I'm going to reply. I sent a message and I said, basically my reply to that Craigslist ad was, hey, I'm not a man, but I'm a badass sound girl. And here's my resume. Um, I'd love to talk. And he immediately, the owner of the venue immediately called me and was like, that had to have been the best response ever. And I got the gig. Um, So that ended up being amazing. Yeah, that ended up being the Tin Angel, which was really was a prominent venue in Philadelphia. Um, And I think that's probably why he did not put where it was. There was some somebody was getting fired. Um, And so he's kind of trying to keep it on the down low. Oh, I got you. Um, in fact, it was somebody somebody I knew that was getting fired, so it put me in a weird position. Not the person too. that emailed it to you, right? Because that would no, be no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, it's a, it's a small venue. It was a hundred and ten capacity room, oh. and if you can think of like um, a Philadelphia row home mm-hmm. in Old City, like the room was about fifteen feet wide. But uh, probably, I don't know, 100 feet long or even more, maybe 120 feet long. So really narrow, really long room. So not great acoustics? 
Interestingly enough, it did. And the guy I replaced um, had been the engineer there for, so the venue, it's closed now. It closed in 2018. And when it closed, it had been around for 26 years. And it had only had two engineers the entire time, the guy that I replaced wow. and me. And I worked the last nine years. So this guy had been there for 19 years perfecting that room. Um, and so wow. it really did sound good. I walked into a really good position, you know, like, I mean, and he was getting fired. So that sounds like, so we, you know, we had talked about it afterward because I knew him and, and we ended up being okay. Um, he was still very loved for what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was no question about that. So, yeah, so I worked there for the last nine years. And, and when I got the teaching job, I did both. Ah. So I, I actually was teaching one class a year and then working at the Ten Angel full time. And your um, baby. And my baby. So I told you, I, busy. I worked up until a week before he was born. And, and it was a, a planned uh, birth. So it wasn't um, I had a, a C-section. So I knew exactly when he was going to be born. Um, and so I, mm-hmm. I kind of planned it. Like I was like, I'm going to work as long as I can. And then I'll take off for whatever I need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had, you know, I had to find my replacement. So I, you know, put, put people in there that I trusted weren't going to take yeah. my job, but do a good job. That's always a flattering position. I've had that before where a friend was like, hey, I need some time. Can you do this thing for yeah. me? I know you're not going to steal my yeah. job. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Um, and so yeah. I actually went back. Um, my son was five weeks old when I started to go back. And it wasn't full time. Like I wasn't doing every show, but I was kind of picking the good shows that I wanted to work and then eased back into it. Um, and thankfully, I had a lot of family support here. But the way that worked was my husband had a full time day job and I worked at night. And so like this was a venue that I didn't have to be there until mm-hmm. five thirty, six o'clock at night. My husband would come home from work and I would leave for work, which worked yeah. really great for raising a kid. Wasn't so great for our relationship, but we persevered and we made it through. And so anyway, nine years I stayed at that venue uh, before it closed. And the entire time I was teaching. So um, it was uh, so I started at Drexel and I was adjunct there. Um, And then one of my colleagues from Drexel actually started a program at Rowan University and asked me to come and teach that same live sound class at Rowan. And for a couple of years, I was doing both universities. And then Rowan had a full-time position for me. So I went full-time in 20, uh, essentially 2016 was when I left Drexel and and went to Rowan full-time. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I've been doing it ever since. And I love teaching. That's, I mean, that that is definitely where my passion is right now. Yeah. It's, being a teacher is definitely a, a special person, I think. And not just because I'm also a teacher. It's just yeah. the amount of like patience and combination yeah. of love for what you do. Oh, gosh. And also yeah. wanting other people to succeed. Yeah. Right. And, I, you know, I think those are all characteristics of being a good sound engineer, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Like, I those are the, the, the same skills that I needed in my – career as as a as an audio engineer are the same skills that I need <laughs> as a teacher and to be honest like I'm happy to inspire the next generation because as I get older I, I just don't have that drive to be in a venue every single night of the week anymore I still do it and I have to do it because I teach it and I don't want to lose touch with what's actually happening mm-hmm. in the field I need to stay connected um, and I still do love uh, getting out and mixing shows 
but instead of doing it five nights a week, now I'm down to like one or two nights a week and I pick the shows that I want to do. And it's usually, um, I had the honor of, of opening up a new venue here and oddly enough, it's called Brooklyn Bowl. Um, but it's a <laughs> chain. Um, so there is a new Brooklyn Bowl Philly. Um, so I got to do opening night there and I've been filling in there. And I also fill in at a venue called World Cafe Live. Um, and both of those venues have really great crews, really great teams, people that I enjoy working with. So one or two nights a week, you know, I'm at, at either of those venues. Um, and it also keeps me connected to the venues because um, my students go in shadow. And so I have those connections mm-hmm. to give them. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's so important to stay on top of it because, you know, you don't want to be that fuddy-duddy old professor that's teaching the same thing for 20 years and hasn't updated. Their- right. Can you imagine, like, if, if I mean, let's just say, like, uh, the, the last 10 years have been unbelievable in mm-hmm. LiveSound. Like, the amount of technology changes that are happening, I mean... I feel behind the curve, even though I'm still working, but I can't imagine somebody who stopped doing it mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, they'd still be teaching on analog consoles yeah, <laughs> and not teaching anything about networking and not teaching anything about not getting their, uh, their Dante they, certifications. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, my students are working on right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm working on the second edition or not the second edition, the um yeah, the the new, the updated edition ones. Oh, is there a new ed- Oh, see, I'm I got to go look it up. Oh man. I, just, I have to go look that up. <laughs> yeah, it's I more, haven't done that yet. It's more networking and uh video over IP and, and that whole jazz. So Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I've got and of course, to do. all right. Thankfully, it's free, so you can get it yeah. online through their website, and you can take the classes. And there's other, um, there's other videos and stuff you can find online that help you train it. Because I have a hard time personally with just watching videos and you know taking that information in. I need yes more yes. visual like reading, reading comprehension, and writing and stuff is big for me. Yeah. Um. So there's a few different avenues that you can yeah. do for that, which is. Great. And I love, of course, even though I'm a teacher, I still love f- access to free information. Yeah. Dante does a great job at that. I love that they do that. And it's still free. Like it's been free the whole time and it's still free. And, um, you know, I think more companies are, are joining that camp. Like I've, you know, noticed like a bunch of, um, yeah, I know uh, Alan and Heath are doing all the master classes, mm-hmm. and and uh, well, they want you to use their product, and so right. they're going to give you free access to like there's Shore University, um, Sennheiser has courses that you can take for free. It's all amazing. Oh, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast tonight. It's been a pleasure. That was fun. I talk a lot. I hope it wasn't too much, but I love that. No, it's amazing. It's perfect because then I, I don't have to like pry you for information it's it's wonderful yeah the teachers love talking about themselves so <laughs> they do. you know one thing I wanted to bring up because I thought this was so interesting so I did a talk at a high school yesterday and one of the students asked me and I, I've never been asked this even by my own students and I thought it was so poignant for a high school student to ask me I'm not going to quote him because I don't know exactly how he asked the question, but basically he was saying, how do you measure success in this industry? Oh. And then he followed that up with, is it by how much money you make or that you work with really big stars? And I said, my reply to him was, well, I don't make a lot of money. And even though I've worked with a couple of really big stars, that's not how I've spent most of my career. Mm. But I love what I do. 
And that's something that you're going to have to find in yourself. In this industry is how you measure your success is really going to be something that is special to you. Right. And so if you get into this industry to make money, you're going to be sorely disappointed, so disappointed. unless you are the, the like 1% who like gets to that point. Right. Um, I don't think there's any sound engineers who are like one percenters. You know what I'm saying? Like- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, more more along the lines of like a, a big producer or, you know, yeah. like have, have, have somehow like jumped that ladder. Right. That, to that side of it. I mean, even from an artist standpoint. They don't all make it to that pinnacle of like Beyonce or. And even if you do, if you are like a Beyonce level and you fucking hate what you're doing, is that success? I don't don't think you would get there if you like you wouldn't even get to that point. Right. Like, um, but I thought that was such a cool question. And I like it really like, wow. I mean, he kind of like made me like stop for a minute and was just like, wow. And and like in that split second, I like totally evaluated my entire career. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm successful. <laughs> I paused for a moment and I'm just like, you know, because I love what I do. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. You can find out more information on the website, soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.